All right. So there was a survey that was taken on prayer in, in 2014 by Lifeway Research. And the results were very interesting. There were 1,137 people were given various categories to select, and no religion or denomination is specified, but they could choose all that apply. And among Christians who pray, 82% prayed for family and friends. 74% of them prayed for their own problems or difficulties, and 54% prayed for the good things that happened or occurred. Or a praise, I guess you would say. And this is where it gets really disturbing. 42% of prayed for their own sin. That means half of those people that were surveyed acknowledged their own sin. 37% of those people prayed for God's greatness or acknowledged it. And among other categories were people in natural disasters, their own future prosperity, people of other faiths or lack of, government leaders, or people in the public eye. The numbers decreased from down to 37%. Another series of questions asked that were interesting, have you ever prayed for people who mistreat you? 41%. Your enemies, 37%. We're commanded to pray for our enemies. And here are the rest of the categories. Winning the lottery. Success in something you put almost no effort in. God, to avenge someone who hurt you or a loved one. Your favorite team to win. Finding a good parking spot. Success in something you knew wouldn't please God. Someone's relationship to end. Someone to get fired or fail. And people actually said yes to these. So these numbers show that prayers are not always biblical. And I understand that this is only just over 1,100 people, but it should make us really examine ourselves and consider our motive in our prayer. So what is prayer? Like I said, when we looked at John 17, it's a conversation. So if you look at other uh, prayers in the Bible, like Luke 18, verse 13, God, be merciful to me. Luke 23, verse 42, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Or Peter sinking, Lord, save me. It's talking. And it is a conversation, and it's a direct words to God. So prayer is our communication with God, and God speaks to us through his word. I think we all know that. We that's It's his written words to us. It's our instructions. It reveals who he is to us. So, he speaks to us through the word. We speak to him through prayer. It's not meditation. And it's not quick thoughts. And it's not mere wishing. God is not a genie in a bottle. If we don't put thought, make it cognitive, thoughtful, purposeful, and it's a continual act, we're failing 
in our communication with God. He wants us to come to him. And it is essential for the Christian life. From gener- from regeneration or being born again, there should be more and more thoughtfulness and purpose in what you pray, how often you pray, and the desire or importance of praying should increase. Luke 18, verse 1, says, Then he spoke a parable to them, that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. One of my favorite quotes from Martin Luther is, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. I would find it very difficult to do. There is a lot to do. But finding spending three hours in prayer, I think, I, I don't know anybody that's done that. Think of it like this. Prayer is to faith as breath is to life. Prayer is essential to the Christian life. So is a a marriage solid if there is no communication? Obviously not. How can someone have any good relationship with their spouse if there is seldom reciprocal sharing and listening of thoughts and feelings? God wants us to come to him and share what's on our hearts. But what is our motive in what's on our hearts? I think we went through that survey, and it really it, it brings to our our minds that what, where where are we coming from when we come to our Maker, who sacrificed His own Son? J.C. Ryle wrote this: "I do not deny that a man may pray without heart and without sincerity. I do not pretend for a moment." to say that the mere fact of a person praying proves everything about his soul. As in every other part of religion, so also in this. There's plenty of deception and hypocrisy. But this I do say, that not praying is a clear proof that a man is not yet a true Christian. He cannot really feel his sins. He cannot love God. He cannot feel himself a debtor to Christ. He cannot long after holiness. He cannot desire heaven. He has yet to be born again. He has yet to be made a new creature. He may boast confidently of election, grace, faith, hope, and knowledge and deceive ignorant people. But you may rest assured it is all vain talk if he does not pray. That's some heavy words and very sobering. And it's very easy to lose that, that, that time, that time that we set aside and just quietly pray and seek God. We all want to have our time of sitting and reading. But do we talk? Do we return that? We want to hear from him, but does he hear from us? What happened when Christ was crucified? The veil, it was torn, top to bottom. Now we have an incredible privilege we can enter that throne room with boldly, that throne room of grace. And when the sovereign hand of, an all, of Almighty God gives a lost sinner a heart of flesh, that new creature is brought to his knees to commune with his Savior and his Lord. And he wants, him, wants to praise him. He has to praise him. 
that is the, that's what happens when your heart is changed. You want it. You can't deny it. You can now come without any hindrance. You can come with humility and eagerness. So prayer, or lack of, reveals what's in your heart. And you've heard it said, look at your checkbook, and you see what your priorities are, or your idols. And prayer is the same way. Examine your prayer, and you will find out where your heart is. Some people have one-sided or manipulative conversations, or it's ear-tickling, schmoozing. It's all about getting their way. I think we've all been there. You run it, I'm going to pray for that person to leave me alone or, uh, you know, for my financial situation to be taken care of. We, you know, the lottery. Um, we can't persuade God. We can't whisper sweet nothings in his ear and convince him to do it our way. God knows our hearts. And he's not going to be mocked. Let's turn to James chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss. Then you may spend it on your pleasures. Why doesn't, why don't we receive? Because the motive is selfish. It isn't about glorifying God or it isn't about, it's about my own desires then and it's about what I want. It's about me. And that, that's what James is saying in that verse. We don't get our answers, our prayers answered because it's about us. Our desires. They don't line up with God's. Verse 4 says, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend with the world makes himself an enemy of God. This worldly attitude puts a person in the classification of an adulterer. That's what verse 4 says. God and his will are not the focus of that prayer. Prayer should not be about us. It should be about his will and his glory and his exaltation. That is what the disciples were taught when they asked, Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus gave them an example of how to pray in the same way he prayed publicly. We don't know what he said to his father in those quiet alone times when he went off to pray. The disciples heard him pray publicly And they wanted to know how to do that. It must have been quite a sight. So let's look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9, going through 13. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. 
and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Jesus shows them that prayer should be concise, to the point, no redundancy or no repetition. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy will be done. Give us daily bread. Forgive our sins. Keep us from temptation. Protect us from the evil one. In the end, you'll receive glory. God will. The main emphasis here is worship, though. This is all focused around God, all of it. His character is recognized. Hallowed be thy name. His will and kingdom are desired. God is a provider, our daily bread. He forgives sins. He keeps us from destructive temptation. He keeps, he protects us from enemies. He gives, he is given all praise. The sinner is a worshiper. The sinner worships before he acknowledges himself. The sinner points out God's greatness before his own sin, before his brokenness, before his inability to do anything. What is the first commandment? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And if God and his will is not our heart's affection, our desires are against him. God is a jealous God. So 1 John 5.14 says, Now is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So he hears us when we want what he wants. When we trust in him, we will want what he wants. Why would we want it any other way? But in our flesh, we so easily want it our way. It's easy to do. Uh, when we're not in his word, we easily fall away into our own wants and desires our flesh. When we exalt God and his attributes, his sovereignty, wisdom, his grace, protection and provision, we're praying correctly. True prayer is primarily praise and adoration of God and brokenness and confession of the sinner. You are God. I need you. I need you. I need you. So Jesus is teaching how to worship and how to worship personally. He commands all glory and praise be given to him. He deserves it. He should get it. So let's look at some prayers that are great examples of godly prayer. Jonah chapter 2. Well, first in chapter 1, Jonah is tossed into the sea. The raging sea stops. And here's a man. He's got a big problem. God sends a giant fish to swallow him. And he's in the toxic belly of a fish for three days and three nights. He's in desperate need of something. He call, This calls for some serious prayer. So chapter 2, Jonah chapter 2, if you want to turn there. Jonah. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, 
And to the heart of the seas and the floods surrounded me and your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The waters surrounded me even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains, the earth, with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Jonah repented. He saw how bad he was and how great God was. And God had mercy on him. And he went and did what God told him to do. Was there any request in there, in that prayer? Nope. This is only praise. Is a recognition of who God is. God was sovereign. God's in his temple. He's high and he's lifted up and it's all for God's glory. Everything that was happening was for God's glory. I don't know how being stuck in the belly of a fish, how you could see this for God's glory, but he, um, he found out. Daniel 9. Daniel's a great prophet and he is between the Babylonian Empire and the Medo-Persians. Daniel is taken captive and there's no change of power. Or there is a change of power. Daniel's interceding for his people. He's praying. He wants his land to be restored. He's reading from Jeremiah. And Jeremiah said there'd be 70 years of captivity. And this has been a horrifying time. A lot of persecution, slavery. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure we all remember the lion's den, the fiery furnace. There's also tens of thousands slaughtered because of their faith in God, the true God. Jerusalem is destroyed. The temple is destroyed. People hauled away. Now they're, com- they are compromised being in a pagan land. They don't have their own things to do. They have to do what they're told to do by this king. Daniel realizes this time is almost up. His, this time is almost up and he begins to pray. That 70 years is coming to an end. He goes humbly to God. Verse 3. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make my request by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. Just like in Matthew 6, God is recognized for who he is. Verse 5, We have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Then admission of sin. There's confession and self-examination. Verses 6 through 10 show again contrition and admission of sin. 
And they hold up God's law and His mercy. Verses 11 to 13, Daniel confesses that Israel is getting what they deserve. He declares another attribute, God's faithfulness to His word and judgment. And he knows that God will forgive Israel if they turned it back to him. And he will grant forgiveness. I think we've, if we're truly repent, uh, have repentance hearts here, we've, we've, we've experienced that, that God keeps his promise. If we cry out to him, he will forgive us. Therefore, verse 14, the, the Lord has kept the, 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 excuse me, the disaster in mind and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which he does, though we have not obeyed his voice. So Daniel's going back and forth from sinfulness of man to confession and to holiness and righteousness of God. God's right in everything. He's in all of it. And he has a purpose in all of it. And that's a great prayer. I think it's a great example for us when we, when we sit down to pray. You know, we're to pray without ceasing. And do we have that mindset when we have, when we pray without ceasing? That's great private worship when we sit down to, at our table, our breakfast table, and we get done reading and hearing from God on our own. We have that example to look at, to acknowledge Him. Verse 15, and now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and made yourself a name as it is this day. We have sinned. We have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to all those around us. When we disobey and we sin, we're not testifying to God and acknowledging that, repenting of our iniquities. We, we can be made right. Everyone feared the God of Israel after what he did to Egypt. And Israel wandered away having selfish desires, not heading, not heeding God's law and commandments. They're out in the wilderness. They wanted food. They wanted water. They wanted safety. They felt they had it back in Egypt. And I think we all, we've been, we, I think we've all been there. You run into tough times. Oh, it was easier when I didn't have to think about doing what's right. He brought judgment upon them. They've brought shame on his name. They have defiled his name. They were taken into captivity because there was no longer fear for the God of Israel. So now, verse 17, Now therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications, and for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. 
Daniel's reasoning with God to defend his name, turn his anger from Jerusalem and the Israelites, forgive them for his name's sake. He brings before the Lord a promise that God made that they are his people called by his name. And he will not and cannot break that promise because it's his promise. Again, God's faithfulness to his word. So Daniel focus, Daniel's focus is for God's name to be glorified. He wants him to keep his promises so he is glorified. Daniel and Jonah prayed as worshiping God. His attributes are held up and his kingdom and will are desired. That should be on our minds and in our prayers. So what about requests? How do we come with petitions? We don't have prayer requests? Of course we do. We always have people that are sick. We have situations that we're in. How do we approach God when we have just got done spending how much time praising him? Wanting what he wants. Daily needs. Forgive us our debts. Forgiveness. We can't deal with our own sin. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We can't protect ourselves. Those are requests. First Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Cast our cares upon him, for he cares for us. Philippians 4, 6. Let your requests be made known to God. Let your requests be made known to God. I had to think about that a little bit. And I was, Brendan and I were talking this week about this very thing. When we pray, what is outside of acknowledging God? And when we do come with a request, what is it? What's the first thing that comes to our minds? should be ourselves. Are we asking God to make us holy? Are we asking him to change us and to break us? Are we like David when he says, search me and find any wicked way within me? Because if we aren't, how, one, are we humble? Are we broken? Or are we right with him? Because when when you're broken, then our hearts changed. We're going to go to the cashier at the dollar store. Now you can, when you ask them to how you can pray for them, you don't come off like a super Christian. You're humble. You're really sincere. You're concerned. It's not like you come off with some superpower prayer. You're sincere. James 5, verse 16, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain in the land in the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, 
and the earth produced its fruit. When we are being made right, when we are crying out to God to work on us, our will will be, our desire will be for his will. And he hears us and he'll answer our prayer. We not simply spread our thoughts out before God, but we offer it to him. We turn it over to him and we bring it to bear on him and we press it on him. There's actually a book that I, I was reading on prayer from, I believe it was Charles Spurgeon, and he said that I was on prayer, and he said that we should be continually, fervently knocking on God's door with our requests if we're in right standing with him. We should always be bringing those things to us, but at the same time understanding that he is a sovereign God, and whatever the outcome is, you're at peace with. We're, we're at peace with. How many, how often have we prayed for someone to be saved? For their hearts to be changed, for God to change it. And it never comes to pass. Are we okay with that? My wife, my wife's cousin, just yesterday called her and she said, and we witnessed to her many times over the years, I'm born again. She's known it for a month, but she wanted to make sure it was right, that it was true, it was for real. She has a background. Many times I had talked to her, I'm too bad for God to forgive me. She is forgiven today. So, when we do pray, do we expect an answer? Yes. Do we want the answer? Yes. Are we okay with the answer we get? That's a big deal. Because then we know, are we thinking what God wants? So we have great tension when we pray. We have to keep the right emphasis in prayer because it is private worship. Remembering not my will, but his will be done. So I want to close with this a Puritan prayer. It's rather long because they were wordy people, so bear with me. It comes from a book called The Valley of Vision. Thou great I am, I acknowledge and confess that all things come of thee, life, breath, happiness, advancement, sight, touch, hearing, goodness, truth, beauty, all that makes existence amiable. In the spiritual world, also, I am dependent entirely upon thee. Give me grace to know more of my need of grace. Show me thy sinfulness, that I may willingly confess it. Reveal to me my weakness, that I may know my strength in thee. I thank thee for any sign of penitence. Give me more of it. My sins are black and deep and rise from a stony, proud, self-righteous heart. Help me to confess them with mourning, regret, self-loathing, with no pretense to merit or excuse. I need healing. Good physician, here is scope for thee. Come and manifest thy power. I need faith. Thou who has given it me, 
maintain, strengthen, increase it, center it upon the Savior's work, upon the majesty of the Father, upon the operations of the Spirit. Work it in me now that I may never doubt thee as the truthful, mighty, faithful God. Then I can bring my heart to thee full of love, gratitude, hope, joy. May I lay at my at thy feet these fruits grown in thy garden. Love thee with a passion that can never cool. Believe in thee with a confidence that never staggers. Hope in thee with an expectation that can never be dim. Delight in thee with a rejoicing that cannot be stifled. Glorify thee with the highest of my powers. Burning, blazing, glowing, radiating as from thy own glory. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, you are, you're sovereign. You're king, you're master. Lord, when we come to you, we can come boldly. And we thank you, Lord, that we can come without reservation, without hesitation. And we love you. And you love us because you call us your children. Lord, you withhold no good gift. Thank you for that. Thank you, God, that you are always watching over us. You know what's best for us. And Lord, as you're working in us to cleanse us, to sanctify us, Lord, you, you show us your will continually. You show us how great you are in the great things that you do and how you provide each and every day for us. And Lord, we know when we go out into this world, if we were truly standing firm on your word, that we're standing firm on on your truth and we're living it out, the world will hate us. But it isn't because of us. It's because it hated you first. Lord, bless this week. Be with all of us this morning. As we go out from here, Lord, that we are conscious and attentive to the people around us, that we are desiring your will for them. We thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.